Again, good to have you here. We're over in Second Samuel, the sixth chapter. As you are in prayer this this week, I know that um, uh, the Jacobs had a fun time getting back, but did finally get back to uh, Florida. And the Detwallers are about halfway through their three-week um, tour of the states that are going on. I sent them a couple t- uh, text messages, but haven't heard back from them, so I don't know exactly how they're how everything on it is going. But um, I keep them in prayer. They have another week and a half to go and driving around the places they were visiting. I did get to hear that they were over at the, the Ark and visiting. I think that was one of the first stops they made. Second Samuel chapter 6. The way of God is not always extravagant. The way of God may actually be very simple. And sometimes our efforts to dress it up can actually alter its purpose. But as we press in to discover what God wants done over what we want to do or what we are willing to do, we can find out what God wanted us to produce, what His will intended. We can pursue these things. Last week we looked at the tactics of the enemy. The day will be deployed against you as you pursue your call and as the blessings of God come upon your life. You will see these things. We looked over four of them. Fear. We'll try and hit you up with some fear. Fear of what's coming against you. Fear of what you haven't seen yet. Pressure from people or situations. There will be pressure built on you to adjust or adapt. There will be shortcuts. Give you well, You don't have to go through that whole way that God wants you to go through or God has said, hey, you just do it this way and you can get it. And settling for less than God's best. Well, why should I keep on pressing? I'm happy here. Moses actually thought the children of Israel were doing that when um, two and a half of the tribes came up to him and said, you know what? We're content with the land on this side of the Jordan. And Moses said, oh, no, you don't. <laughs> God told us we're going to get the land of Canaan and you're going in. Oh, no, no, we're, we're going to go in and help them. But we just are, we're content to stay on this side. So he said, oh, okay, as long as you're going, going to go in and help, press on in, get the rest of it, then that's fine. And that was uh, that was okay to do. But here we're going to take a look at some things in the the way of God in Second Samuel 6, verse 1. And again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. Boy, David's getting a lot more men, didn't he? Used to be with, with a, a few thousand. And then he went down to 600 after he left Saul. And then he began to build up to thousands again. Now we got 30,000. And David rose and went with all the people who were with him at Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God who's Name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Uzzah, the, uh, he, and the heel, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God, and Ahihu went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments, fur, Wood on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums, and on cymbals. You will notice, though, that in that list there is no keyboards. So keyboards are not of God. <laughs> now, some people take that that uh, that view that whatever they didn't have and they didn't use, it's not of God. That's wrong. They used the instruments they had at the day. We've made other instruments and developed other things, and we can certainly use them in the in the things of God as well. Uh, 
down the road there may come up with some new instruments and people may use may use those but here we see that they had taken the ark of god and they put it on a new cart and they brought it out of the house of abinadab this is the house where it was at you remember that the ark of god was lost in battle and the philistines when they had taken captive of the ark they brought it back and put it before their god and their god in the morning was bowed down to the ark so they set him back up again and he's bowed down again and uh, bad things were happening all over. People were getting tumors. And apparently there were rats. There were rats that were all over. And uh, a lot of people were dying. And so they said, we can't have this go on anymore. So they consulted the magicians. And they said, well, let's do this. Let's take the Ark of God. We're going to put it on a new, new Ark. Take two milking cows and take their calves away. Put their calves in a pen. Put these two milking cows who have never taken a cart before and put them in front of the cart. Send it along with a sacrifice for their God. And they also said that each of the lords of the Philistines had to include a golden tumor and a golden rat. Because these are the things that were bothering them. So they made the images of those out of gold and they sent it along as an offering to, to um, Jehovah. And they said, if the, if the milking cows start walking towards Israel, then we'll know that God was behind all this. If they don't, they go back to their, find their calves and, and go someplace else, then we know that God wasn't behind this. And so uh, they, they set it up so that more than likely the milking cows would not go in the way of Israel. But they did. And they took the cart on back to Israel. And so it had been staying there. It had not been in its uh, proper housing. And so David says... Uh, you know what? We need to go get it. Let's go get the Ark of God. Let's bring the Ark of God home. It's, um, let's do that. Let's make this the focal point again. So he goes on down there and he gets uh, another new cart. He brought it out of the house of Abinadab. Took his uh, two sons, Uzzah and Ahio. And they had them to be with the cart. Now they've been around the Ark of God all this time it's been in the house. So you would think they would know the procedures. They probably had a couple of priests there who told them some things about it. So they were at least familiar with it. And so they were following along on the cart. Then we come to verse 5. Well, before we do that, let's turn over to Numbers chapter 4, verse 5. When the camp prepares to journey, Aaron and his sons shall come and they shall take down the covering veil and cover the ark of the testimony with it. Then they shall put on it a covering badger's skins and spread over that a cloth entirely of blue and they shall insert its poles. Down in verse 9, But to the sons of Kohath he gave none because theirs, or this is chapter 7, verse 9, because theirs was the service of the holy things which they carried on their shoulders. So all the holy things were carried on the shoulders of the priests. Now here's a problem that won't jump out at you in that first section of uh, verses we read from Numbers. It says that... Let me go back and read it again, Dan. At the end of Numbers 4 and 6, and they shall insert its poles. This is talking about inserting the poles into the ark of God. Here's the problem that comes in. The poles are never to be removed. In the, in the 
law, as Moses said, they're making all these things. Everything else had the poles removed. And then you put the poles back in the rings and you took the, the things, all the stuff, all the altars, all the things in the tabernacle, they were put on poles and they were carried. But the Ark of God, it says the poles were not to be removed. But here it says to remove them. Now there's some things, you can, technical stuff you can get into in the Hebrew. Does it mean set up? Does it mean to... And there's a couple of possibilities with this. One is that the poles were there, but that they were pushed in. Now they came up with this because when they were uh, going through the King King Tut's tomb, how many remember King Tut? He had one cart, or one, uh, what you would call an ark. Uh, he had one of them in their chest in there. And in this, they had four poles, one on each corner. And the way that it was done is the, the poles were pushed in. And then when you wanted to carry it, you pulled them out. It could be something as simple as that. That was That's the kind of poles that they set up and you just pulled them out. So they're already there. They didn't get removed. And you just pulled them out into the carrying position. It may be something uh, along those lines. Other people have said we don't know exactly how many poles there are. Were there two stationary poles? And then they would add two other poles to help carry. We don't, we don't know exactly. But we know the Word of God is not consistent. Hebrew is a little uh, vague to us because of the words that are used. So it's very possible that the poles are just always attached and just moved into a different position. The other ones, that's not how it is. The poles are actually inserted into the other altars and the other things that they would carry, the uh, sh- the showbread table. These things all had the poles added on each time they were going to carry them around. But this is how they were supposed to carry the the ark. In Hosea chapter 4, verse 1, Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel, for the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying, killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break all resist, restraint with bloodshed upon bloodshed. Therefore the land will mourn and everyone who dwells there will waste away with the beasts of the field and the birds, even the fish of the sea. Let no man contend or rebuke for your people are like those who contend uh, with the priest. Therefore you shall stumble in that day. The priest also shall stumble with you in might and I will destroy your mother my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I will also, I will reject you from being priest for me because you have forgotten the law of your God. I will also forget your children. God does not expect them to forget the law. He gave it to them. He told them this is how things are to be done. He told them how to move the ark. And David is not following those laws. What David is doing is he is going after a technique that had been used most recently to move the ark, which was on a cart. The Philistines did this. The Philistines got a new cart, and they put the the uh, uh, milking cows on it that had never been on a had never been yoked before. So David follows this example, and he sets this up. Don't follow the ways of the, of the world. Don't do it. They may look nice. There's a lot of things that people do in church. That bring in the ways of the world. I don't, I've not been in churches like this. I've heard people that have been in this, in, in churches like this, you know, just since I'm a pastor, I don't get to visit too often. I just, you know, we go on vacation once in a while. If it happens to be over a Sunday, we uh, sometimes get to visit a different church then, but I still can't say that uh, we have, we have found that uh, in some of the places that we've gone, but I have heard it said that in some churches, they will sing secular music. They just change some of the words and they they make that as a, a, a something. Now, it doesn't mean that the tune is, is necessarily evil, but you have music that was written for a different purpose. 
I don't want to bring that in and, and worship my God with that. So we don't bring secular music in here and, uh, and try, try and turn it around. We take music that is written for God. And even there, we're careful about the, the things that are, are brought in. I've heard some churches during the summer, I was shocked at this. I heard a church in the area that somebody was telling me, I haven't been there. I don't know. I don't have first-hand knowledge of it. But they said if you go in there during the summertime, instead of uh, coming in on Sunday and sitting down and listening to a message, they show a movie. Uh, my first thought was, must be a Christian movie, you know, maybe a movie about Jesus. No, it's just uh, any old movie. And they serve popcorn. I was like, man. <laughs> See, you can, you can begin to do this. You can begin to bring in the ways of the world into your own life and not even realize it. Now, I had this for you last week and I didn't share it with you, but um, I'll share it with you this week. I, I was reminded. I, I knew this a long time ago, but you know, a lot of things you just forget. And I had forgotten that this was part of the, part of things, but the, um, Listen to this one, one guy was reminding me of this, that one of the practices in, in satanic, uh, satanic, uh, ceremonies is that all the participants wear a mask and are spaced six feet apart. Now, I was talking to some people last Sunday about this, and there was a movie. And so somebody looked it up for me and helped me, me know about this. There's a movie they made about it. I'm not bringing you up anything. This is brand new. We're just, this was, uh, when was it, 1990? 1999. She looked it up for me. Eyes wide shut. I am not recommending that anyone go out and watch that movie. I didn't watch the movie. I'm not planning on watching the movie, but I heard somebody talk about the movie. And in this movie, they bring in satanic rituals and they show this aspect of it the masking and the spacing now how is it that somehow we came up with six feet apart and have you noticed that every place you go they got those little things little spacers six i've i've always ignored them i have completely ignored them they said you want me to stand where (laughs) i just stand wherever i want to i'm not about to to be moved or bothered by all this sort of stuff uh but it is interesting that of all the things to bring in, that's one of the things that they have, have brought in that got people doing. So just be careful. Understand that the devil loves getting you to do things that you don't even know what the reason for it is, don't even know what the purpose of it is. That's why he loves to get a catchy tune to something that is bad so that you start singing it. And you start going over it over and over again. You know, you drive me crazy. Why in the world do you want to be saying that out of your mouth? All the, all the other things to do. I know, I think of that one because uh, Keith Moore used to always pick on that whenever he got on song. Different ones that would do that. So be careful letting the ways of the world come in. God's ways are higher. God's ways are different. They're not always extravagant. And in this particular case, they are not. What David tried to do was more extravagant. Let's get a new cart. You know, let's basically put it into a Cadillac. And let's cart it around this way. And God says, uh uh-uh. I set poles. And somebody carries it. And as they're carrying on the cart, we most of you know the story, verse six, and when they when they came to Nation's threshing floor, this is verse six of Second Samuel six, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled, then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him for there his for um struck him there for his error and he died there by the ark of God now you may not study the the Leviticus law all that extensively but how many know don't touch the ark how many know that don't touch the ark 
This is probably one of the reasons why the poles were permanently attached because we don't want anyone touching the ark. You can touch the poles, don't touch the ark. That was the thing that was to be established and uh, they apparently didn't do it here. And so he dies and David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? Now, you've never gotten mad at God, have you? Never had something happen in your life that you didn't quite understand? I don't quite understand why that person died. I don't quite understand how that happened that way. Why did that person get this? Why did that person not have this? We see things and we come up with questions. We're not sure what what happened. And we get angry. The reason we get angry is because I expected something else. Now, I may have expected it outside of the word. David obviously expected something else. He expected that this man tried to steady the ark, tried to do something positive. He should not have died for it. God is looking at it. You disobeyed my word. You went against it. And this predicament would never have happened if you had done it the way that I said. But we didn't do it the way that he said. And we went in another, another direction. That's why you gotta be careful about some of the things that you, that you get involved with and that you do. Make sure you're being led by the Spirit of God. Don't be led by people. And this, this day right now, there's a whole lot of pressure for people to be taking on things that, uh, they don't necessarily want. I know the vaccine is, is, uh, getting a lot of attention from people and Christians all over having debates. You know, should we get the vaccine? Should we not? Is it the mark of the beast? It is not the mark of the beast. It's not even close to the mark of the beast. Don't think that if anybody, anybody got the vaccine, well, you're on your way to hell. No, you're, you're not. I am not getting the vaccine. I have no intention of getting the vaccine. I didn't get the flu vaccine. Because for one thing, I know that they aren't vaccines. They, they, I know what a vaccine is. I've talked with people in the profession. And they've even told me they are not vaccines. And they're not. I mean, there's something else. But just because they're not vaccines doesn't mean that they're, they're inherently evil. It just means they are not a vaccine. They don't contain the things that a vaccine contains. It's also interesting to know that if you go and try and find out what's in it, you won't be able to know. They don't release all the things that are in the vaccine. Well, you're not putting something in my body that I don't know all the things that are in it. In fact, a lot of times I know all the things that are in it and I still don't want it in my body. Now, if you do... If you feel more at ease taking the vaccine and having it, then that's fine. I'm never going to put you under condemnation for it. Tell you, well, you shouldn't have done it. Well, your faith should have been stronger. No, I'm not going to tell you anything like that. That's that's putting pressure on you to do something instead of just going on faith. If that's what your faith is, if you want to go out and have the vaccine, go ahead. I'm not going to put you in the condemnation or say, well, you can't come in this church anymore because you got the vaccine. I'm not even going to ask you about it. That's up to you. But but it's up to me whether I want to get one for me. And I'm not going to get one. I know too much about it. I know some of the the hardships have been coming up with this. And they're trying to keep down a lot of the deaths. But I know this number is three weeks old. 45,000 people have documented to be dying from this vaccine. 45,000. Now that doesn't mean that 45,000 died. That means that's how many were documented. Now they're burying it. They're covering it up with everything that they can, keeping it down because they don't want that known. But more people have died from this vaccine than all the other vaccines combined. But they don't want people to know that. Now, that doesn't mean that if you get it, you're going to die. More than likely, the odds are you won't. 
It's just, no, I don't want to put you in fear of the thing. You're just going to obey out of, out of, um, you know, not being in fear. Or, uh, that, that's for the, if you, but if you want to get it, go ahead and get it. Make sure you do it in faith. Make sure that God's leading you that way. Then you go on ahead and, and do that. I'm not going to tell you anything about it that way, but I know I'm not. And if they start saying, well, you can't do this if you don't have it, I won't do it. <laughs> it don't matter to me. I can stay right in my little area right here and just be very happy. <laughs> I, I don't have to get her on an airplane or, or do stuff. But anyway, don't condemn other people for it. You know, we've had people in the, in the family of my, my wife's side. They, um, uh, they put an, uh, a thing out that no one can come visit their newborn baby until they're vaccinated. vaccinated. Well, all right, you want to go see them? <laughs> I don't know what else they're going to do. But um, that's what they decided to do. That's their decision. It's their family. It's, uh, it's what they want to do. It's my decision whether I want to get it or not. And uh, I won't be pressured into it. You shouldn't be pressured into it either. But uh, that is going to be stepped up. It's amazing how many government institutions are trying to pressure people to take something that the government itself hasn't said is safe. And can't say is safe because you, you need so many years before uh, something can be fully tested. But... But uh, just don't get in fear of it. Just be in faith, and don't be don't be afraid about what men can do to you, make you make you get it down the road. And what will that do to me? Don't be in fear about that either. Just keep on going, Father God. I thank you that I trust you, and I will not be in any predicament that you have not foreseen. You see, as long as you go about doing things God's way, you get it caught into a predicament. God's going to help you out. They got caught in a predicament. Because they didn't do it God's way. And there was no help. Just do it God's way. Make sure you check it out with God. God, should I do this thing? God, should I take this thing? God, should I go after this thing? And, you know, all the way up until now, um, it's not all of you know uh, my, my medical history. I don't get too much medical history. I don't have a whole lot of medical history. But I have had pneumonia a couple of times. And so my doctor was always every every all the, the times that I would be in his office, he would say, you should, get, you should really get the flu vaccine. This is just the normal flu vaccine. I said, I appreciate it. I didn't condemn him or anything like that. I appreciate your advice on that. Uh, do you want to get it? Now? No. No. I never did get it. Never wanted to get it. Never felt like I needed to get it. And still have it. I wouldn't do that with this one either. And this one has a lot more questionable stuff in it. But if for any reason you get stuck in a place and something like that has to go on, well, you just you just talk about it with God. God will help you out. God will tell you which way to go. And you go the way that God says and then just rest in peace. If God has you go in a certain direction and he says, just go this way. Don't be fearful of your job. Don't be fearful of your body. Just go the way that God says. And have that confidence in him. Talk to him. Just like we've been looking at the life of David. Remember David said, shall I go up to Jerusalem? Or shall I go up to to any of the cities of Judah? Yeah, go up to Hebron. And so he went up there. Shall I do this? Yeah, do this. Shall I attack the Philistines? Yeah, I will deliver them. Shall I attack them? In that? No, no, time, don't attack them that way. This time, circle around the back. He's always coming to God. Shall I do this? So go to God. Ask him. God, shall I do this? He'll tell you. If he says no, then don't do it. But Uzzah is in a predicament. He sees the ark of God falling. I mean, what would you do if you saw the ark of God 
the ark of God. You're walking next to it and it starts to tip over. What would you do? I don't know if, if I'm him, I don't know that I'm, I'm changing his course of action. I think I might have still done the same thing. What would you do if you knew you were going to die? I don't know. I might still have done the same thing. I don't know. I'm not there. He was. This is what he did. And David got mad. Didn't like it. David found an opportunity to get angry at God. Most people have found an opportunity to get angry at God. He didn't just get angry though. He became offended. He became offended at God. You know people that are offended at God? Well, I won't go back to church because this happened. I don't, I don't talk to God anymore. I don't think God's real because this happened. If this wouldn't have happened, if this God would have been real, this wouldn't have gone on. Okay? They got offended. Well, you got to get over that offense before you can go any further. David stayed offended. Instead of going out there and trying to find out what went wrong, if he would have done the same thing he did before, God would have said, well, you did it wrong. If he would have done just like Joshua did. Joshua, why did this, why did we lose this this battle, God. And God says, because there's sin in the camp. Now get out there and fix it. And so he got out there and he got out there and they fixed it. If you go to God, he'll tell you. So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him to the city of David. This is at Jerusalem. But David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. I mean, he's getting blessed. Now, here's something interesting. It was in the house of Abinadab for a lot longer than three months, and we never read about it being blessed. Now, how is it that it's... Because we're making note of it. The Word of God makes note that the blessing came down upon him. You would think that if Abinadab got blessed, it would have been made note of, right? So why is it that Obed-Edom gets blessed but not a minute that. Well, I asked that question, and I don't know why Abinadab didn't get blessed, or why it wasn't mentioned, or why he didn't get blessed enough for it to be mentioned. But I began to think about Obed Edom. Now, picture you being in Israel around this time when this happens. Just picture this this going on. And we have um, we had this situation. The man dies trying to fix the ark of God. That, that's got to scare some people, right? I mean, more than just David got angry. I'm sure other people got angry. So people probably got, got angry, probably got offended. And so David says, all right, well, we got this ark of God. Somebody just died from it. Uh, can I put it in your house? How many can, can picture the possibility that he got a couple of no's. David, I don't want that here. Uh-uh. And not in my house. Not, no. And so finally, Obed-Edom steps up and said, David, you can bring it here. You're not afraid? No, I'm not afraid. I would love to have the ark of God come in my house. And God probably looks at that and says, hey, there's a man. He did not get angry. Even though he doesn't understand everything that happened, he didn't get angry. Let's bless that house while that thing is there. And I bet God just saw an opportunity to bless them because they probably had a different attitude. Now, we won't know this till we get to heaven and watch the videotape. <laughs> it may be that he was the first one he came to and he gladly uh, received it. But can you see that there could have been a struggle in taking the ark of God into the home 
into your into your place, whether you put it in the barn or wherever it is that you put it, to bring that in, there's some controversy going on around this right now. Should we take this? So was Obed-Edom the first choice to rest the Ark of God? I don't know. I'm thinking that maybe he wasn't the first choice. But he was at least on the list. And he, uh, he said yes. Verse 12. Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the Ark of God. Well, what else are you going to blame it on? I mean, so much has been going on. So much good has been going on in his house. I'm sure he wasn't cursed or anything like that. He was probably getting uh, blessed on a certain level at a time. And all of a sudden, this thing comes in. And maybe he was increasing 5, 6, 7% a year. And now, all of a sudden, he's increasing 30, 40, 50% a year. That's noticeable. So, word probably came down. I'm sure Obed-Edom is not saying anything about it. If you're Obed-Edom, what are you doing? I'm keeping quiet. I want this thing saying right here. This is good. This is good. So it only happened for about three months and then the word got back to David. Why? It's probably some of the neighbors saw him increasing and they said, we don't want him increasing. David, have you seen? He's increasing. Oh, I want that increase. I'm going to go get it. So he's not moved to get rid of the offense until he sees the blessing coming on someone else. Isn't that the way that it is with a lot of people? We don't pursue learning more about God or pursue God and His ways more until we see that it's working for somebody else. So it was told David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. Well, he got over his offense. If you're offended, you're not glad. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Now he's being extravagant here. God didn't call for them that when they're moving the ark, they got to be sacrificing all this stuff every, every so many steps, but he decided to do it. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. So they probably brought in all those other instruments too, but they had the trumpet going. They're sacrificing sheep. And it says, David was wearing a linen ephod. So David was attracted to move, move the ark because of the blessings that was coming down upon that household. See, blessings won't come upon someone who's offended. David was offended. That blessing's not coming down upon him. I made this note in your outline. Pride keeps them from ever moving back into a situation of blessing. Offended people, they stay in a place of not being blessed because pride keeps them from ever moving back into a situation of blessing. But God wants you to get out of that. He wants you to get out of being offended. It does not help you to be offended. It doesn't help the other person either. But still people get offended and they carry it around. It's it's just not worth it. It's not worth your time. You don't have time to be offended. Why in the world worry about what other people have done for you, to you, didn't do, whatever it might be? 
Whatever they did, they did. We're going to go on. I'm not going to get offended at it. You allow yourself to be offended, you'll cut off a lot of people from your life. Just don't let them offend you. Well, I don't know why they did that. Let's just go on. Just go on out there and do it. So apparently they did a search of the Word. I wrote down some of the verses of Scripture here that they looked up. But in 1 Corinthians 15, I'm just going to read a, a few of these verses here. In verse 2, Then David said, No one may carry the ark of God but the Levites, for the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of God and to minister before Him forever. Alright, well, here's one thing he learned. We need to have Levites do the job. Verse 13, For because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult Him about the proper order. So he found out. It was our fault. It wasn't God's. Shouldn't have got mad at him. I should have got mad at myself. So the priest, verse 14, the priest and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord and God of Israel. And the children of the Levites bore the ark of God on their shoulders by its poles as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. Now, they probably had a whole lot of Levites to do this because if you ever carried something on your shoulder, how long can you carry it on your shoulder? Um, I mean, some of us might be good for a half mile. Maybe a mile. I don't know. I used to carry the, the grandkids on my shoulder. We used to carry our kids on the shoulder too. Both kids loved it. Both kids throw them up there on the shoulder. Oh, they're having a, they're having a great time. They hang on to your head, your stuff, you know, they, they, then Lissy came along. Lissy came along. She was all about that. She'd always, she'd just ask me, can you, can I get on your shoulders? And so I'd pick her up, put her on my shoulders, and, and she'd just ride up there. She'd ride up there, we were going shopping out in Peddler's Village. I remember being out there. She's up on my shoulders. There was one day we were out there. There were so many people for whatever the day was. There were so many people you couldn't walk. So it was safer to walk with her. She's little. Put her up there on my shoulders. Now she can see everything because she couldn't see nothing. And there were so many people. All she could see is people. So we put her up there. She's happy. Well, after a while, your shoulders get tired. Now, I've tried it with Chenzo. Chenzo lasts for about 15 seconds. <laughs> And then he's tired of it. He's done. He's ready to get down and get going again. And uh, we'll see what happens with Lumi. I don't know. I've done it a couple of times, but she hasn't been into it so far. So, uh, well, but I know when you put something on your shoulders, you know, it starts to tense up. It starts to get hurt, get hurt and such. Some, sometimes I had to just say, Lissy, I have to take you down. And so I pull her on down and she wasn't happy about it. I wasn't happy about it, but it hurt. So we put her on down there for a little while. So I don't know if they they just switched off people. They have a lot of Levites there, and they just switched them off. Somebody else take the shoulder, they put the pole on the shoulder. But they probably just did that because you're looking at many miles that they're carrying this thing. Where do we leave off at? Fifteen. So David, the elders of Israel, and the captains over thousands went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed Edom with joy. And so it was when God helped the Levites who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord that they offered seven bulls. And seven rams. So instead of imitating what, the way that the heathen did it, they went back and found out how God wanted it done. I don't know, but I think God was a little bit more uh, particular about them copying heathen people. Why are you copying them? Why are you doing it the way the Philistines did it? We don't need to be doing this the way the Philistines did it. We don't need to be doing things the way the world does it. I don't need to be speaking and talking the way the world does. I don't need to get offended the way the world does. I don't need to operate on my job the way the world does. I'm called to be doing things differently. 
So walk the way God told you to walk, not the way the people around you walk. In um, 2 Samuel, back over there, verse 16 of chapter 6. Now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping, whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. When David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Then he distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both the men and the women, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. Now that may not sound like a whole lot for each person, but when you did that for the whole everybody who came out, that's a, that's a lot for one person to do. But he just uh, decided he wanted to do this. So Saul's daughter goes out there and she, she looks at him, David's wife. She sees him over there carrying on, dancing with the music. And one of the things that offended, seems to have offended her the most is that he was not wearing his kingly robe. He was wearing here, it says, a, a linen ephod. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 27, David was clothed with a f- robe of fine linen, as were all the, the Levites who bore the ark, the singers, the Chenonites, the music master, with the singers, David also wore a linen ephod. He's dressed like a priest. David was not naked, but dressed as a priest, not a king. See, he was the king. Only one person there can be dressed as the king. But he decided to put aside the kingly robes, and he put on basically priest garments. He wasn't naked. He had the linen ephod on. He had the linen clothing on. He had the, he, he looked like one of the priests. Well, that's all who's around there. We have Levites, we have priests, they're all around, they're all in the linen ephod. And David doesn't look any different from them. He doesn't stand out. His wife probably thinks you ought to stand out. You are the king. You're not acting like a king, you're acting like one of the peasants. You're acting like one of the normal people. You're not the, one of the normal people. You're a royalty. You're probably telling him stuff like this. And, uh, he's not into that. No, he's, He's out there dancing before the Lord. And so some things have come out about that. And people wonder, well, David danced before the Lord. Is that something that everyone is required to do? Because David did. So his wife became offended because of the way he danced, because of the way he dressed, because of the way he acted in front of all the people. Now, she has been barren until now. No kids. And apparently that stayed that way. Now either she was continued to be barren because David just basically didn't treat her as a wife anymore or she stayed barren because whatever she needed to be healed of wasn't healed. Other people in the Word of God, they were barren for many years while they were first married and then uh, the Lord healed them of that. But apparently that did not happen with her. Now the ark in the Word of God represents the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God was there. And David is dancing before the Spirit of God. Let's pick up verse 20. Then David returned to bless his household. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants, as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Now picture this. You can see this in the word. 
but you may not picture it. Have you ever been greeted by someone who is not greeting you because they are happy you were home, they are greeting you because they have a message? Has that ever happened? They are here because they have a message for you. Somehow you disappointed them. Somehow you let them down. Somehow you did not do something that was supposed to be done. And so they come on down to greet you and they got a smile on their face and they're pretending like they're all happy. But they're not. Did you do this? Did you not get this done? And they're, they're pointing the things out to you. That's, what, that's the attitude that she's coming out here with. She is mad because the king is not acting kingly and she's not treating him like a king. She's treating him like someone who is under him, under her. You should be doing what I want. You should be doing what I expect you to do. You should be acting the way that I expect you to be, be acting. And, um, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't go over well. That doesn't go over well with David. How many of you like people to come up to you and tell you how you ought to act? How you ought to dress? What you ought to do. Now, some people, they prefer that someone comes in and helps them get dressed. I know, uh, probably happens with men more than any, but their, their wife likes to pick out their clothes and the man likes it. That doesn't work in our household. No, I don't pick out my wife's clothes and she don't pick out mine. I pick out my own clothes. She may come in. Doesn't, uh, doesn't really ever do this that I know of, but if she came on in, she saw what I laid out, you're going to wear that? Yep, I am. Might wear two Sundays in a row now. <laughs> you know, that attitude can kind of come up on the inside of you like, what do you mean telling me what to do? Have you ever had that with, with people? Now, we've never had that go on. My wife lets me dress the way I'm going to dress. So I let her dress the way she's going to dress. And, uh, and that's fine. If you happen to be one of those persons that your wife is a, a better dresser uh, of you than you are, and she, that's fine. That's, that's all right. That's just, uh, something that you want to do. I, I, I just don't, I don't operate that way. Then before I got married, I, mean, I, I dressed myself. I like mixing my own colors. But um, not everybody is like that. And don't, don't, take a, don't take the thought that, well, I ought to be picking out my own clothes if you're, if you're not. That's fine. You know, pick out what you want. I know when we were little, Mom used to pick out our clothes. I don't know when that stopped. But once it stopped, I never let it start up again. <laughs> I picked out my own. Pretty sure everybody else in our family did the same thing. But it's good for a time that, uh, you know, when you're growing up and somebody helps you get dressed and picks out your clothes and does things for you. But here, this wife, she wants to come on out here. She wants to tell him how to act. She wants to tell him how he should be dressed out there. She wants to dictate all these things to him. And David, no, uh, I'm not having any part of that. So it seems like their relationship from here on out changed. Where do we leave off at? Verse 20. So David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father. Oh, there it is. Bringing the dad in. Bringing in the dad. Who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord of Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord and I will be even more undignified than this and will be humbled in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. Therefore, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Now that part, the way he just phrased it right there, now therefore, it seems like David didn't treat her as a wife anymore. And that's probably why she didn't have any kids at that point. But 
David says, you think I was undignified today? You have seen nothing. He's kind of got that attitude going on. Well, you think that's undignified? Oh, just wait. <laughs> wait until the next time that we get out there. David's not afraid of being undignified. Like she is. See, some like David's wife feel that acting in a certain way is undignified in ceremony or in worship. But it's okay everywhere else. I can act undignified at a sports game, but not in the house of God. That's not how it's, it's supposed to be. Now, we're not going to take on this whole topic here today. We're going to probably overflow this some into next week. But what is the way of God in worship? What is the way of God in worship? There's a lot of times that we, we say things like, well, it's not my personality to do that. What things are personality generated and what things are obedience generated? We're going to take a look at that topic. We're going to take a look at that. What's the Word of God have to say about this? Because you see, if I... Walking in honor is not just doing things in an honorable way. It's doing things the way God wants us to. That's how we, we walk in honor. One of the most important things that it, there is, the most important quality of worship, the most important quality of what you are going to add to your worship. This is Write this down. It's in your outline here for you. I want you to get this. This is the most important thing if you want to make sure that this is in your worship. We have to make sure that whatever we do, that we be genuine. You need to be genuine. As with most things, so very important is it that we be genuine. You gotta be genuine. You gotta be who you are. If you try to become something that you are not, it will not come across as being genuine. And it will affect how you worship and what you do. Now, a lot of times people like to put pressure on you. Well, I'll know the Spirit of God is on you when you do this. That's pressure. Well, you ought to be doing this. I mean, I do it, so you ought to do it. There's pressure. And then sometimes we have that same attitude that David had with his wife. Oh, yeah? Well, I'll show you. And then either we, we don't pursue that at all, even if God leads us, or we pursue it and we get completely ungenuine in the whole thing. You don't want to be doing that sort of stuff either. I put these things in your outline so that everybody would make sure we get it. To become something others want isn't genuine. If you become something that others want, that's not genuine. Don't, don't be doing that. Don't be, other people are always going to want you to be something else. Because it's more convenient for them. Because they like it. Because they will feel better if you do this. They won't come out and say it that way, but that's what they, that's what they want. Many times in the Bible, you will find that people got into disobedience and didn't do something that the Word of God told them to do, and so then they decided, let's get everybody else in on it too, so we're all in the same boat. And so they, they go along to do that. One of the best examples of that you see is when they, they said to Jeremiah, go seek after God. He was sought after God. He says, alright, God says, don't go anywhere. He says, you're lying. 
and we're going and you're going with us. <laughs> and they took him along so that uh, he would be involved in their disobedience. Of course, he, they had to basically tie him up and carry him. He wasn't going to go along with it. But a lot of people, they try and do this. They try and push you to do what they're doing so they feel better about what they're doing. They're not doing it because God told them. They're not doing it because of any instructions in the Word. They're doing it just because they feel better about themselves. They feel better whether they do something or whether they don't do something. You know, we've been in, in churches before. I'm sure you have been in, in churches before. Where just to raise your hand, you get a, you'll get a look. Now, I heard this one was uh, talked about with um, uh, Lissy when she was in the Christian school. And they had a worship time. And so she's over there worshiping and she just worships the way that she's been taught to worship here. And she just closed her eyes and raised her hand. And she became the object of a lot of attention. And she came on home, talked to mom and dad about it. We heard about the conversation. But there's where people, that begin to put pressure because that particular school didn't necessarily, you know, they're, I know you say Baptist, there's about 250 different types of Baptists out there, but this is a particular Baptist in which they just very stoically sat in their, in their chairs and didn't really get very open about worshiping God. And they want to put pressure on that to, to stop. Don't become something that others want. Become what God tells you to be. How has God told you to be in worship? See, that's the picture I have to get. And this is when we get into this next week. We're going to try and spend some time on this. What has God told me that I should be in worship and what is it just other people are telling me? Because you've got to be genuine. can't be fake. You can't put, well, I'll just put on this, this air about this. I'm just going to uh, pretend and, and go this way. You don't need to do it. Here's the second one. To not do what God asks. That isn't genuine. If God asks me to do something and I don't do it, that's not genuine. That may be what I feel like. That may be what I want to do. That may be what I'm willing to, to, uh, to walk in. But that's not genuine. You see, what is genuine is when God says, Thou shalt be this, be this way, see this way, think this way, go this way. That's the genuine. Everything else is a fake. Everything else is a fake I accepted. But we got to sort out. What is the fake that the world has thrown at us? What is the fake that the religious people have thrown at us? What is the fake that other people have thrown at us? And what is real? Because if I pursue what is real, if I pursue what is genuine, it will have a tremendously positive effect on my life. So, two things so far. If you're going to be genuine in worship, don't become something others want. Don't not do what God asks. And don't be concerned about what others think. Sometimes, well, God, you know, I, I feel like I want to do this. I feel like I want to walk in this way. But I'm not sure how other people will react to it. I'm not sure how other people will like this. That's not, that's not genuine. You have to, have to pursue what God is saying. I, I wasn't around. I wasn't um, wasn't at a place where I was um, able to 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 see all this. I wasn't born yet, but I heard about it from my parents. They would tell me that when 
my dad got born again when he got saved. That uh, he came from a, uh, I thought it was German Catholic. My mom corrected me and let me know it was Irish Catholic home. And yeah, Irish. Hmm. But they're, they're real strong. It's a lifestyle. It's not just a, you know, a religion. And so when he got saved, he found his bags packed and put on the front porch. He's out of the house. That's it. Now, see, that's a, that's a genuine commitment right there. You've just been relocated. And you probably weren't ready to be relocated. That can be a, that can be a tough thing. But we can get concerned about what others think. Even now, uh, a lot of times people, they get concerned about what other, others think. In the area of masks, in the area of vaccines, in the area of, uh, um, all the other issues that are going on. People can't, I'm not saying that you all do. I'm saying that there are people who can, who can get concerned about this. And then other times you just say, well, I don't care what they, what they think. And, um, we begin to put pressure back on. I did that for a little while. It was stupid. But <laughs> I did it for a little while. John and I, we were running around in the neighborhood and we saw people. This is way back in the beginning, though, all this nonsense with the mask. And um, I think it was like in the first month or two, this people were doing this. And we, were, we saw people running by people with the mask on outside by themselves. By themselves, no one else around, outside with the mask on. And it just kind of was churning up on the inside of me. And I decided, well, instead of them putting pressure on me to put that stupid mask on, I'm going to, I'm going to flip it around. And so I just, we, we ran on by them. I turned around to get the mask off. You're outside. That was stupid. I'm putting pressure on other people to do something. <laughs> That's not how they ought to, ought to do it. So I didn't do it for very long. We just, uh, we just let them go. But I don't know what you think about. I, I drive by people, run by people. One person in the car, and they got the mask on. I heard one person, they say, I think the people who put masks on in the car when they're by themselves driving around ought to stay home when everything opens up. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, people just haven't thought it out. I don't know what it is, but the, the pressure comes on. You all need to do this. You all need to, to go along this way. I've had people chase me around the supermarket to put a mask on. I, I'm not going to put it on. I, I I would go at times when it was the the numbers were down, to help them, mostly to help them, you know, feel better about it. But I'm I'm not going to put the the pressure on. I had to, the the place I like to buy running shoes running shoes because I like to buy places you know local. I don't like to go through the mail. I walked on in there. So um, for all the uh, closure time, I still wanted to make sure they got business. So I would call him up, Facebook him, whatever, say, hey, I need a pair of. And so he would, uh, he said, that's fine. He says, um, you can meet me out in the back and uh, he'll have them because he couldn't open the store up. I said, that's fine. And he was actually driving around delivering them. I says, I don't want to do that. I said, um, I'd like to pay you cash instead of the credit card company getting some of the money. So I'll come on over and give you cash. So I came over. Well, he had the mask on outside, bringing the thing on in there. And so that's fine. I'm not putting my mask on, but if you want to stay... Then he could do that. But uh, the things started to open up. So uh, they were only doing it by appointments and so forth. So I sent him a message. And I said, uh, if I come by, I need another pair of running shoes. If I come by, do I have to wear a mask? Or I put it, are you requiring a mask? Try to make it as neutral as I can. Not trying to condemn them or anything like that. Just, are you requiring a mask? 
and so I think he knew right off where I was coming from, and so he just sent me a note back, and he says, look, he said, if you, we're trying to accommodate everybody. If you don't want to wear a mask, I'm going to be in there on Friday, and um, you know, just let me know ahead of time that you're coming on in, and, and so forth. So uh, I wasn't able to make it in on that Friday. Came on by later on in the week, and came on in. There was two people in the store. One person treated me like I had the plague. I told them I already knew what shoe I wanted. They went in the back and they got it. And the lady came up, she had the mask on, and she came back and she dropped it on the floor and then backed off. I just smiled. It's like, all right. <laughs> that's, that's fine. The other guy who was in there, he at least uh, came out over and talked with me and, and, and so forth. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't want to put pressure on these people. Hey, you ought to be viewing this thing the same way I'm viewing it. If you want to, if you feel you have to have all those kind of precautions and things in, then you go ahead and do it. But I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to pressure you to take your mask off. You're not going to pressure me to put mine on. Put one on. That's just how it's, how it's going to be. Um, we've never had it before. Somehow people think that this is okay. I can pressure you to do things the way I want them done, but you can't pressure me back to do things the way you want them done. No. If you want to have a mask on and go back, go ahead. Go at it. We had people who came on over to our place just to do business, you know, the, to, to do things. And so they come on in, they got the mask on, all this sort of stuff. I always make sure I let them know, you don't have to wear the mask for our sake. Really? <laughs> Off it came. <laughs> Sometimes I said, that's okay, I'm going to keep it on. That's fine. You can keep it on. You can come into my house. You can have your mask on if you want to have your mask on. I'm not putting one on. And uh, if that was a problem for them, you know, they could go, go away, I guess, and get somebody else. Nobody ever did. But just make sure that as you're resisting the pressure, don't put pressure on others. A lot of times people come in and they have learned that genuine worship is a certain way, and therefore you must do it. And they put pressure on. We don't respond well to pressure. How many remember the pressure that married people put on you when you were single? Maybe you're still single. But married people just always seem to be put pressure. If you're single, they got to fix you up. You know, it's in all the Hallmark movies. All the people, you know, are in there. They got to fix up the person because they're single. They got to find a person for it, and uh, and all that sort of stuff. I, there was always people pressuring me when I was single, always wanting to push that on, and um, you know, especially in church. Church is the worst because that was the environment I was in the most. But um, I think churches were the worst. And if you get in there and you get into church, and people are always trying to fix you up. Uh, you see that young lady over there? Yes. <laughs> and trying to, to fix all that stuff up. I had it and when I was, I think I told you this before, but I had it down that um, if I talked with a girl in church, because you know, I, was, I was an assistant pastor, you talk to people after church. But I had an internal clock that would start ticking as soon as I was talking to a girl. And it would tick, 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 time's up. Because I knew if I stayed there any longer, the rumors would start. And I didn't care about the rumors, but I cared about the, for this person over here. They might, you know, feel a little, so I would make my way on over to talk with somebody else and, and to do things. But, uh, you know, the crowd got to be so bad that if I sat next to a person, then things would start up. So, um, I started a, a deal. We had, a, in the place we were at, we had three different, uh, columns of pews, and no one sat in the middle column front pre- no one I don't know why no one sat there 
it was empty. And, um, you know, Matt was in there. He, was, he remembers that. Nobody sat there. Debbie, she remembers that one. Nobody sat there. So I decided I'm going to sit there because nobody sits there. And then I'm not sitting next to anybody and then I don't have to hear it because then the pressure would come in. Pressure. You, know, you got to do this. and You got to... No, I don't, I don't want all that pressure. I heard somebody say, not, I'm sure it's not true for everybody, but married people are always trying to fix up single people because they want them to be as miserable as they are. <laughs> as a comedian, I'm sure it's not really that way. But, um, but people out there, they do that. They, they feel good about it. I want to pressure you. I want to get you to do this thing because I know what's good for you. In, that, in, the, in the way of dating, you know, people always know. I know a good girl for you. Uh-huh. And... You know, we get suspicious of all this. So, you know in the Hallmark movie, if somebody is trying to fix somebody up with somebody, that is not the girl. You know it. That's not the guy. That's not the one. But don't give in to pressure. If you do something in worship because of pressure, it's not going to be genuine. And though it may look like everything else that everyone else is doing, it won't minister to you, it won't bring you to that place, and it won't minister to God. What you need to do is to have genuine worship come out. So we're going to take a little bit of time. We're going to just look at what is genuine worship. What does the Word of God actually tell me to do? What does the Word of God expect me to do? What if I don't feel comfortable doing that? Anybody ever seen something happen in worship you're not comfortable with? A couple of people that are not liars. I do appreciate that. Of course, we've all seen things. I've seen things in worship that I am not comfortable with. And most of it, I'm not going to imitate either. But what is, just because somebody spiritual is doing it doesn't mean that it is spiritual itself. So we're going to take a little bit of time to do this because if I don't go after what God told me to do, I'm going to be missing out on something. David did not move the ark the way he was supposed to. He came up with a really nice way. Brand new cart, new uh, animals, all, all sorts of music being played, all sorts of good stuff along the way, but God says, that's not what I wanted. And so if I want God to look down upon my life and say, Steve is doing what I want him to do, then I need to be genuine and I need to know what his word said. Now, everything that God asks you to do is not going to make you feel comfortable. Some of it will make you feel uncomfortable. But it's a whole lot better to do what God said to do and be uncomfortable than to do what someone else is pressuring you to do and be uncomfortable. Because one carries a blessing and one does not. And the enemy loves for you to get tangled up with people's expectations and to do something that is not comfortable and have no results. No growth. Not being made better by it at all. He likes that. Because then, when you get presented with something genuine that God really wants you to do, makes you feel uncomfortable. Oh no, I've been here before. I'm not pursuing that. I'm not going that way. Tried that before. Didn't do nothing. Mm Mm-mm. And so then all we ever do is what we're comfortable with and what we, what we say we like. But we're going to show you some clues that you can find out how you can tell 
whether something you're not comfortable with is really genuine or not and how you can be. So we'll get into that some here next week. Hope that won't discourage anybody from coming back. <laughs> Would you all stand up with me? Father, we know that as David pursued good things, he did not always pursue it in the way that you wanted. Most of the time he did. He's a great example of us to look at and see how to pursue something the way God wants you to. But even when someone who was so often right about how he pursued the things of God, we see that he was even able to be distracted and to get off and to go in a wrong direction. And somebody died. Other people got angry, offended. Well, we want we want to learn what you would have us to do, what you would call us to do. Some of it may make us uncomfortable. But if we pursue those things that you've called us to, we will get comfortable and it will feel real good. It will minister to us and it will minister to you. And we will see the blessings of God come upon our life and increase. Obed-Edom could have been uncomfortable with the ark coming to his place. But he became okay with it. He was blessed for three months while that was there. We want to have the blessings of God come upon our life. We want to bring the Spirit of God into our life. And even though He may call us to do some things that are uncomfortable at times, we will grow when we do it. I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Glory to God. Boy, look at that sun coming out out there now. (laughs) 